everyone. Welcome to this podcast made for the Consortium of Indo-Pacific Researchers. My name is Tobias Dahlqvist. I am an intern here at the Consortium. I'm also a fourth-year master's student at Korea University in Seoul, South Korea, majoring in international peace and security with a special focus on Korea and Northeast Asia. And today I will talk to Colonel Jeff Holman. Uh, Colonel Holman, it's a pleasure to talk to you today. Uh, Colonel Holman is a 28-year security forces officer in the U.S. Air Force. His past assignments include duties providing nuclear security, space systems and acquisition security, anti-terrorism and force protection, air-based defense and law enforcement. He has served in a variety of unit level, staff, command, and joint positions. Colonel Holman holds a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's degree in international relations. He is a former enlisted Marine and is currently the chief of mission assurance at the U.S. Indo-Pacific Command. Uh, did I get all the information right, Colonel? Thank you very much for that introduction. And uh, before we get started, I'd just like to say that uh, the opinions and views expressed today do not reflect the official position of U.S. Indo-PACOM or the U.S. government. Uh, my information uh, that I'll present and any answers that I'll give are all based on unclassified and open source products. So for background, I do not consider myself to be a subject matter expert in Korean affairs. However, I do have a few touch points over the years, which should help me survive your line of questioning. So my first exposure to the Republic of Korea was in 2002, when I was assigned as the operations officer at the 8th Security Forces Squadron at Kunsan Air Base. During that 12-month tour, I acquired a deep appreciation for Asian culture and Korean food in particular. So to this day, I jump at the chance to feast on kimchi, bibimbap, bulgogi, and yakimandu. My most memorable experience during that year was the opportunity to attend the 50th anniversary of the Korean War armistice at the DMZ. And of course, monthly week-long exercises in full chemical protective gear, repelling simulated attacks from DPRK special forces and ballistic missiles. My next exposure was 15 years later in 2017 when the DPRK launched a missile over Japan. I was the Provost Marshal for U.S. Forces Japan, and I remember being recalled for an emergency meeting following that significant emotional event. And my third touch point was during a two-year assignment as Pacific Air Force's top cop, where I worked with the 51st and 8th Security Forces Squadrons on base defense and counter small UAS organize, train, and equip issues. And then finally, as the current Chief of Mission Assurance at U.S. Indo-PACOM, I work closely with U.S. Forces Korea, as well as the service components, to ensure they can accomplish their missions of integrated deterrence and warfighting dominance should deterrence fail. So again, thank you very much, uh, Tobias, and over to you. Uh, thank you, and thank you so much for uh, sharing your experience working here in Korea because it's very much related to the topics we're going to discuss today uh, and we will discuss the U.S.-South Korea alliance that was sort of forged during the Korean War and then officially formed in October of 1953 
with the signing of the Mutual Defense Treaty, uh, the United States Forces Korea or USFK were established in 1957. And today there are about 28,500 American troops stationed in South Korea, meaning the United States third largest military presence abroad after Japan and Germany, according to data from US Defense Manpower Data Center. Uh, so this means that the U.S.-South Korea alliance will have its 70th uh, anniversary later this year. So, Colonel Hallman, how would you evaluate the U.S.-Korea alliance and partnership during the last 70 years? And what would you say are the main challenges to the alliance? So honestly, I think the relationship is stronger than ever, thanks in part to the DPRK's continued pursuit of nuclear weapons and their threats to destroy anyone that opposes them, uh, especially the US, uh, South Korea, and Japan. Uh, when you surf side by side with an ally like South Korea for 70 years, that builds strong bonds of friendship, respect, and mutual trust. And that's never going to change as illustrated by the U.S.'s frequent assurances of the ironclad alliance. As far as challenges go, I think extended deterrence is the elephant in the room. And that's grounded in the assurance that the U.S. will defend the Republic of Korea by all means necessary to include nuclear weapons, which obviates the need for the Republic of Korea to pursue its own nuclear capability and also supports global efforts towards nonproliferation. Uh, for example, the joint statement from U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and ROC Defense Minister Jong Suk Lee in November of last year stating that any nuclear attack by the DPRK would result in an end to the Kim regime. Uh, and that's a pretty powerful deterrent, if you ask me. Of course, the further the DPRK advances its nuclear program, the more stress that places on extended deterrence. And that's why we've seen reports of the Rock administration toying with the idea of starting its own nuclear program, or at a minimum requesting the U.S. bring its own nuclear capability back onto the peninsula, either permanently or at least establishing the infrastructure to bed down dual capable aircraft. Back in January this year, an independent bipartisan commission was recommended that the U.S. and South Korea begin pre-decisional discussions about what it would take to redeploy tactical nuclear weapons to the region should tensions reach a point where such a move was warranted. Uh, the 14-member Strategic Center for Strategic and International Studies Commission on the Korean Peninsula, comprised of former diplomats and defense officials, as well as academics, concluded that redeploying nuclear weapons is not necessary under present conditions, but its report and recommendations acknowledge perilous landscape for the U.S. and South Korean alliance. So in summary, I think the uh, relationship is strong. The alliance is, is strong. Uh, you're not going to see any kind of abandonment uh, by the U.S. of South Korea, uh, no matter whether it's a conventional or nuclear conflict. And it's in the best interest, uh, according to the experts, that the peninsula uh, strive for denuclearization, and we do not uh, escalate the situation by introducing nukes into the equation. I hope that answers your question. Uh, yes, thank you. And it also uh, kind of answered my later question about uh, nu 
uh, redeployment of US nuclear weapons on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, so uh, moving on, uh, Colonel Holman, since you have a long experience working with the US Forces Korea or USFK, could you please explain how the force protection system works against the threat of terrorist activities and other hostile adversaries? Uh, would you say it's uh, defensive or offensive? Well, certainly USFK is postured uh, as a uh, equal partner uh, with the Republic of Korea Armed Forces uh, to deter any type of aggression from North Korea, uh, which includes any lesser types of conflict like terrorism. Uh, during my time there, uh, back in the early 2000s, as well as my time on the USFJ and uh, PACAF staffs, um, I never really saw much in the way of a terrorist threat uh, within South Korea. Uh, certainly there was a, always an ever-present threat of what we call level one threats from North Korea, whether they be agents or saboteurs uh, or special forces. So we were always on the lookout for that type of activity, that kind of uh, pre-conflict activity that North Korea could use to shape the operating environment. Uh, but as far as, you know, your classic terrorism threats, we didn't see much of that. It was mainly geared towards defending, uh, you know, the U.S. and uh, rock installations from an attack, uh, an overt attack by North Korea. Okay, thank you. Uh, moving on, uh, talking about uh, South Korea, the U.S. and Japan. Uh, South Korea-Japan relations are sometimes described as a quasi-alliance uh, based on the close alliances that both countries have with the United States, but relations between Seoul and Tokyo are often frosty, and the two countries have failed to overcome historical disputes over Japan's colonization of Korea that lasted from 1910 to 1945. However, South Korea's new Indo-Pacific strategy states that South Korea seeks a forward-looking partnership with its closest neighbor, Japan, and describes improved uh, South Korea-Japan relations as essential. So, Colonel Hallman, uh, what are the prospects for a formalized trilateral alliance between South Korea, Japan, and the U.S.? in the light, of course, of an increasing rivalry between the United States and the People's Republic of China? Republic of China. Yeah, that's a great question, uh, Tobias. Um, I think we're inching in that direction uh, of some sort of a formal alliance. Uh, you know, there's a lot of formal alliances, both bilateral, trilateral, and otherwise being, uh, you know, leveraged in the Indo-Pacific. Um, I think uh, South Korea is, is more inclined uh, to kind of uh, maintain more of the bilateral relationship with the US. I think they're certainly open to cooperating uh, with Japan on trilateral activities, whether it's missile defense uh, or some other type of uh, you know, cooperation. Uh, we did recently see uh, some evidence and I'm just going to refer to my notes here real quick. Um, 
There was recently a meeting where South Korea, the US and Japan jointly discussed economic security issues. Uh, the delegations from the three countries sought ways to enhance their mutual understanding and cooperate on areas of common interest in the economic security field. Specifically, the three sides discussed cooperation in emerging and core technologies, such as quantum, bio, and space, and stabilizing semiconductor, battery, and critical mineral supply chains, among other things. So certainly uh, outside of the trilateral uh, cooperation that you see in the defense realm, whether it's uh, uh, exercising together on missile defense uh, or other um, you know, air and maritime integration, you've also got this economic security uh, cooperation going on in the background. So I think the more elements of national power uh, that these three countries can, can intertwine and work together on, the stronger the uh, chances are that there's going to be some sort of formal alliance in the future. Okay, thank you. Um, then I have uh, one more question, actually. Um, the South Korean new Indo-Pacific strategy also states that South Korea will gradually seek to expand cooperation with the Quadrilateral Security Dialogue or Quad. Uh, and South Korean President Yoon has officially stated that he is positive toward South Korea joining Quad. South Korea has also with New Zealand and Vietnam been invited to the so-called uh, Quad Plus meetings. So Colonel Holman, in the light of South Korea's positive signals to become a member, what would you say are the prospects of South Korea becoming a full member of Quad in the near future? Yeah, another great question. Um, so the Quad, is, as we know, is, is a fairly loose uh, uh, you know, alignment of, of countries with, with uh, shared interest in maritime uh, you know, security and in other areas. Uh, it's not a formal alliance per se. So whether South Korea were to choose to, to join if invited, um, I, th I think remains uh, kind of up in the air. We had discussed whether or not they might enter a formal uh, trilateral alliance with the US and Japan. I think similarly, uh, they would they would certainly be open to participating in meetings as a plus, as a plus one or, or plus uh, in addition to some other countries, but I'm not sure that they uh, would necessarily want to formally join the quad uh, because they're kind of hedging, um, you know, their relationships with, with China and other uh, Southeast Asian nations. So, Unlike Japan, who's who's all in, Korea is a little bit different, and we still see them considering uh, being considerate of China's views with respect to activities in this part of the world. So, um, I hope that answers your question. I, th I think ultimately they will participate in discussions, uh, but I don't think they'll formally join as a member. Uh, yes, that's a very uh, clear answer. Uh, thank you. And uh, that was actually all questions I had for today. Uh, Colonel Holman, thank you so much for your insightful comments. And thank you so much for taking your time and answering my questions.